This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Noon Business Hour. For Rob Hart, I'm Jim Goodis. The Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. A record number of people unhappy at work, and we'll cover that in our next segment. But right now we're hearing from Thomas Barkin, the president of the Richmond Fed, regarding inflation and interest rates. And here to talk about that and what it means, David Jones, the chairman of DMJ Advisors out of Denver. He's the author of the book, Understanding Central Banking. So, What is being said out of the Richmond Fed, and what should we be looking at in terms of what is being talked about? Well, I think everybody's happy with this idea that uh, we finally got a consumer price number that uh, eased off a bit with that July consumer price number 8.5% increase year over year, down from the peak in June of 9.1%, same pattern for producer prices. So I think everybody's happy that once we have finally seen a month where the rate of inflation, although still very high, uh, cooled off a little bit, um, I think that will have some of an effect on, we've had a number of Fed policymakers speak. I think it'll have some effect on that September meeting. My bet would be that instead of going up 75 basis points or three quarters of a percentage point, they'll go up only 50 basis points or half a percentage point. Uh, But I think the Fed is still very much of a mind to keep raising interest rates till they see even more evidence that inflation is cooling off. And is it one of those things where, you know, we oftentimes when we talk about any kind of number, we say, you know, one month is, is it great snapshot, but not necessarily something that you need to look at in terms of what is actually happening. Maybe we need a couple of months or a longer term look. Is that something that you're advising people to do right now? It's like, let's let's see how it continues and goes on uh, and not necessarily put too much either uh, positivity or optimism in these numbers that we saw. Exactly. You hit the nail precisely on that, Fed. I hit it. In my 40-year career, I said what you just said perhaps every month. One month does not make a trend. Um, the um, the best bet is that inflation, while it is cooling off slightly, is still going to be sticky this year. We're more likely to have stagflation with a little bit of growth with still inflation well above the Fed's 2% target. Uh, for the rest of the year. Um, And, you know, even if we get down to, let's say, 7% inflation on a year-over-year basis in consumer prices by the end of the year, we still have a long way to go. And I think that's what 
Barkin and all the other Fed officials are essentially saying um, it would be totally inappropriate for the Fed to stop raising interest rates to fight inflation at this point. Is it something that you should think about when you just said when we get down to 7% inflation? Does (laughs) that right there tell you what we need to be still concerned about and what we need to be careful of as we move forward, even with these numbers that appear to be heading in the right direction? You could not have been more right. And uh, your sense that the market may be a little over-optimistic about the story uh, just because inflation did not go up again uh, and went down a little bit is uh, right on the mark. Um, we are far from the end of the inflation battle at this point. And, you know, we still have what I would call an energy crisis as the administration as an energy policy that tries to uh, have a war on fossil fuels when we still need them. So we've still got problems. Um, and even though gasoline prices have fallen, that doesn't mean they couldn't go up again, um, given that energy crisis. So we're not home yet on the battle against inflation. That's David Jones, the chairman of DMJ Advisors out of Denver. You'll want to check out his book, Understanding Central Banking. David, as always, great to talk with you. Coming up, the great resignation still going strong. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Millions of workers are leaving their jobs each month as a Gallup poll finds a big increase in worker disengagement and unhappiness. And here to talk with us about it is a Chicago jobs expert, Michelle Reisdorf from Robert Half here in Chicago. So, Michelle, I guess a lot of us are looking at our jobs and saying, Take this job and, well, you know the rest of the verse. Uh, Why is that? You know, I think it's just been a long two and a half years with the pandemic. There's been so much change, um, a lot of that being, you know, where you go to work every day. And if you don't have good connection um, to your employer, your manager, um, you're finding yourself maybe in a situation where you feel unhappy, disengaged, and possibly considering looking for other jobs. How much concern should there be, Michelle, though, that people are like, oh, man, if I just get out of this job and find something else, my life will be so much better. And then folks get to that other job and realize, well, maybe it's not as bad at my old job or maybe it's not as great at the new job as I was hoping. Yeah, no, we definitely have seen uh, an uptick in people who have left their jobs who now suddenly are, you know, reconsidering that decision and, you know, wishing maybe they hadn't moved so fast or had maybe just done something different with their, you know, previous employer to maybe talk through the situation, you know, figure out a game plan and work with their uh, first employer to see, is there a way to make it better? I mean, does that happen a lot where people are unhappy and they don't think they can talk to their boss about it? And if they do, you might be surprised just how well things will work out. Yeah, you know, we're reporting that about 50% of workers are feeling, you know, stressed at their jobs, you know, even 40% being worried. Um, And with the remote workforce, people have found it more and more difficult to have that one-on-one conversation with a boss. You know, it used to be you could get up and, you know, walk into the boss's office and sit down and, you know, maybe have that face-to-face conversation. And now you're having to do that, you know, via phone or over video which just doesn't feel the same. And, you know, I think it's easier to avoid the negative and just go out and look and see what other jobs are out there. 
Um, but, you know, we always strongly encourage, um, you know, pick up the phone, have that conversation because you never know. Sometimes it's just miscommunication that puts you in that you know position. So Robert Half helps people in their careers, in some cases make transitions, in some cases maybe improve the work situation they currently have. For those who might be saying, you know what, I just don't think there is a future for me here or I really do want to look at possibly something else. What's the advice right now in this environment with what you're seeing with the Great Resignation? Well, you know, I would say first and foremost, always open the doors of communication. You know, sometimes uh, you might, you don't know that your manager doesn't realize what your career goals are or what type of development you need or even that you are unhappy. And then from there, if you have that that communication with your boss and you find out that, you know what, maybe this isn't the right place, then certainly do your research. Don't make a rash decision. There are definitely plenty of jobs out there and available. It is a very tight candidate market. So you have lots of options. You just want to make sure it's the right option so you don't leave the wrong job for another wrong job. That's Michelle Reisdorf, the Chicago jobs expert from Robert Half here in Chicago. Michelle, thanks so much. Great advice both on looking for new work and maybe reconsidering leaving the old job. Up next, electric truck maker Rivian ramps up production as its losses swell. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Supply chain issues are affecting electric vehicle maker Rivian, which has a manufacturing facility not far from here in Normal. Let's get the latest from John McElroy, the automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv out of Detroit. So, John, what's going on at Rivian and why? Well, they just posted their second quarter earnings. The numbers don't look too good, and it shows just how tough it is to try and be an EV startup in the automotive industry these days. They only sold 4,400 vehicles, which is not a lot. Uh, They brought in about $364 million in revenue, but their expenses far exceeded that, and the company lost $1.7 billion. The good news is it still has $15 billion in the bank, but what it's got to get to right now, Jim, is just what you were talking about. Chip shortages, other shortages, they need to make a lot more vehicles. And how tough is it for Rivian not only being a startup, not only dealing with the supply chain issue, but you've got mainstream automakers, GM and Ford, really making a play now in the EV vehicle, especially with trucks. How much of that poses an additional challenge to Rivian? And of course, you've got Tesla that, you know, may or may not come out with its truck, depending on uh, what's going on. That seems to be delayed. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to Tesla in a minute, but you're you're right. Uh, Rivian faces significant competitive pressure from Ford and General Motors. And soon, Ram's going to be in there, Toyota and others, too, with electric vehicles that will compete to, directly against them. But, you know, the, the issue is, uh, you know, most people never heard of Rivian. They don't know where any place to go to buy it is, whereas they see Chevy and Ford and Ram dealerships all over the place. So that's a big one. Uh, getting to Tesla for the moment, make no mistake about it, that cyber truck, this sort of weird-looking electric pickup Tesla is going to come out with, will be out sometime next year, probably sometime around uh, this time next year. How sure are we of that? We've heard things you know, about this truck and you know, other issues from Tesla that maybe didn't necessarily pan out the way that Elon and others were saying, I mean, how, 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 how sure are we that we will see this uh, unique vehicle, let's call it, next year? 
Jeff, that's a great question. You're right. I mean, you got to take whatever uh, Elon Musk says with a grain of salt because he constantly overpromises and underdelivers. The reason I'm confident it is coming out is I've talked to several automotive suppliers that have orders to supply to that truck, and it's going to go into production next summer based on the orders they've gotten. Let's just really quickly circle back to Rivian and just, John, from your advan- from your vantage, from your expertise, what do you put the odds on on Rivian uh, making it and, and either not just surviving, but perhaps thriving in this uh, ever-expanding market? Look, I think they got a good shot at it. Remember, uh, Amazon is a big investor in Rivian, and it has ordered 100,000 of its electric delivery vans, which they're already starting to take delivery of right now. As I mentioned before, Rivian's got $15 billion in cash in the bank. No other startup, not, not counting Tesla, but none of the other startups have anywhere near that kind of money. So with a a big order bank from Amazon and Amazon and money behind you, a big chunk of money in the bank. As long as they can get their hands on the materials they need and start making trucks and vans uh, and SUVs, they should be good to go. But uh, we'll, we'll have to watch it because obviously they're really struggling, uh, at least financially right now. And you can count on John McElroy, the automotive industry analyst and host at autoline.tv to keep watching it and, He'll keep us posted on how Rivian and the rest of the EV truck industry is doing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. And for Rob Hart, I'm Jim Goodis. The Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. And these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Author Salman Rushdie is the victim of a stabbing attack in New York. A Chicago Public High School student is wounded during a behind-the-wheel driver's ed class. On Entrepreneur Friday, we talk to the founder of a new completely digital bank designed to take away bias from small business lending. Some consumers are using credit card rewards to cushion the blow of inflation. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 284 points, the S&P 500 up 48, and the Nasdaq is up 189 points. AccuWeather says we might see a shower or two later this afternoon, especially north and west of the city. We'll stay in the mid-70s. And then for tonight, mostly cloudy with a shower or two as we head down to a low of 64. Right now, under cloudy skies, it's 75 at O'Hare at 1231. Author Salman Rushdie has been attacked and apparently stabbed in the neck as he was about to give a lecture in western New York. He's been airlifted to a hospital for treatment. Rushdie's book, The Satanic Verses, has been banned in Iran since 1988, as many Muslims consider it to be blasphemous. An edict from the country's late leader, Ayatollah Khomeini, called for his death. In a 1998 news conference, Rushdie said he stood by the controversial book. There is not a chance in hell of the book being withdrawn. 
We have not fought a battle for freedom of speech to give in at the last moment. No word yet on the identity of the attacker or the motive behind his actions. A Chicago high school student is on the mend after being shot in the head during a driver's education class yesterday. We get details from WBBM's Mike Krauser. It was about noon at 113th and Normal in the Roseland neighborhood, the last day of driver's ed. There were two students in the car with an instructor from Fenger Academy. A 17-year-old girl was driving, reportedly trying a three-point turn when there was gunfire. A bullet grazed the girl's head. She was taken to Advocate Christ Medical Center in Oak Lawn, where she was treated and released. Nobody else was hurt. Police say the shooting is under investigation and nobody is in custody. That's the story from the Roseland neighborhood. It's 1232. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Markets are higher on this final day of the trading week, and we're joined by Jim Awad, the Senior Managing Director at Clearstead Advisors in New York. So, Jim, what's happening on the markets today and why is it happening? Well, it was a continuation of a positive cocktail that the, that the markets have been celebrating all week. Uh, import prices came in much less than expected, which speaks to uh, uh, decelerating inflation, building on the uh, CPI and the PPI earlier in the week. Uh, and then you had a stabilization in consumer confidence, in fact, a slight uh, uptick, and yet forward-looking inflation expectations for the next year uh, in the Michigan index came down a little bit, although the long-term uh, expectations ticked up a little bit. But basically, the narrative for the entire week is an economy that's slowing but not slowing too much, uh, inflation that is peaking and starting to come down, and uh, that, therefore, the Fed while it's going to continue to raise rates, is unlikely to have to raise rates enough to break the economy and that the economy is strong enough to withstand what the Fed's going to have in front of us between now and the end of the year. So it's almost not necessarily good news, just not as bad of news as we were seeing and expecting. Is, is there anything about these numbers, Jim, that, you know, people are very enthusiastic about it? We're, we're seeing the reaction on Wall Street but is there anything about these numbers that concerns you or that we need to be wary of? Well, they're all reversible. Uh, uh, in terms of, of inflation, uh, if, if something happens with crude oil, uh, that could reaccelerate um, uh, uh, headline inflation going down the road. And we, we will get more inflation news between now and the, and the Fed's uh, September 27th meeting. And uh, although to date the economy seems strong enough uh, to withstand uh, what the Fed's doing, there is a theory that you're going through a summer splurge in spending, and most of that was booked earlier in the year, and people are spending uh, the, the money they saved up during the pandemic, and that uh, when they have to pay the bills in the fall, in fact, the economy will end up slowing more in the fourth quarter than the markets are assuming right now. So there's still a lot that, uh, that could go wrong. The big picture is that the market went down 20%. It probably overshot on the downside. It's now made up half of that loss. So you're probably about where you should be in terms of valuation while we await incoming data on the economy, inflation, profits, and what the Fed's going to do, do for us between now and the end of the year. So, Jim, at Clearstead Advisors, what are you telling investors about what their strategy should be right now generally? And is there any areas in the markets that people should really take a close look at, either for good or for bad, to buy or to yeah. sell? Well, well, we, we, we are strong advocates of, 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 of long-term rebalancing. That is, 
use use these ups and downs in the market to rebalance towards your long term portfolio, uh, your long term asset allocation strategy, rather than trying to react uh, to near term events. But I, I would say that. If we're going to have an economy for the foreseeable future that's going to grow a little bit slower than it has been growing over the last 10 years, and you're going to have inflation somewhat higher than it's been over the last 10 years, that therefore the growth sectors, uh, uh, companies that have enduring growth, are the sweet spot in the market. They've come back a lot over the last several months, but they should be the best performance over the next couple of years. That's Jim Awad, the Senior Managing Director at Clearstead Advisors, LLC, out of New York. Jim always Glad to get your advice on what's happening, especially in markets like these. Up next on Entrepreneur Friday, using algorithms to remove bias from small business lending. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon the spotlight is on a new bank that's completely digital and is looking to eliminate bias in lending. And joining us is Siki Ballard, the founder of Beta Bank here in Chicago. You can check out BetaBank at its website, betabank.com. And so, Siki, tell me about BetaBank and what not only makes it unique, but how you have found a way to hopefully eliminate bias in lending. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, BetaBank is an entirely new approach to small business banking. Uh, as you mentioned, we are digital first, which means instead of having to go into a, a branch to transact or engage with a banker, you can access all of Beta Bank services, products, and features uh, using a phone. Uh, and why is that important? Uh, because we believe that fair access to capital is fundamental to economic empowerment. And the fact is, certain communities have not had fair access to capital and banking in general. So uh, if you uh, or your business uh, operates in a community where you're, you're more likely to run into a, a unicorn than you are to find a bank branch, then you go to betabank.com to read about uh, how we intend to serve all of our small business clients. Now, Siki, I understand that you have come up with an algorithm that actually helps you determine you know, or reduce bias in lending without giving away, I'm sure, what is a very valuable secret. How does that work? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, typically when uh, folks are applying for loans, they are going into uh, community banks, uh, uh, local banks to uh, uh, meet with loan officers and uh, submit their application for those loans. Um, and what we find when we uh, analyze the data, and this is you know based on research from the Federal Reserve, is that all things being equal, uh, certain demographics of people have a harder time getting access to loans. Um, and if they get the loans, then they're going to be more expensive. Women, uh, uh, this is true for women. It's a great example. Um, so this means, you know, if a, um, a, a woman business owner is applying for a loan and a male business owner is applying, they both have the same financial profile. Their businesses are performing roughly the same. She's going to have a harder time. And so really where, where the opportunity for that bias is, is introduced is when, when she's meeting with the loan officer. You know, I think most loan officer bankers are well-intentioned, but uh, often uh, what we find in the data is that um, they're not just evaluating the performance of her business. They're, they're looking at her and, you know, applying a sort of subjective character test. Uh, you know, does she look trustworthy? Does, 
uh, she fit the uh, archetype of a successful business person that they have in their minds. And, and that's really where we think we can make the biggest difference. Uh, we leverage technology and data to be, to be able to assess the risk of lending to a business based exclusively on observable financial and operating data about that business without uh, um, uh, using and relying uh, to the same extent as a legacy bank without relying on that human uh, loan officer to be able to determine uh, whether that business is uh, granted a loan or not. Uh, and so um, we partnered uh, with Google Cloud to um, uh, uh, construct uh, DataBank, um, uh, and this partnership is really allowing us to leverage some of the most advanced technologies uh, globally um, to be able to have a, a very finite understanding uh, and ability to measure risk, uh, to measure the chance of default without using the sorts of factors. Uh, that typically bias decision-making, whether it's your zip code, whether it's your gender, uh, whether it's your race. That's Siki Ballard, the founder of BetaBank in Chicago. And you'll want to check them out because they are an innovative bank and they are really bringing some big changes, especially to communities that have not necessarily been adequately served by the financial community. You can check them out at betabank.com. Siki, thanks so much for joining us and all the best with BetaBank. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. As inflation continues to hurt budgets, some people are using their credit card perks to help their bottom line. And let's find out how they're doing that with Ted Rossman, the industry analyst at creditcards.com out of New York. So, Ted, how are people doing that? There's this new Wells Fargo study that says that about half of credit card holders are using these rewards to offset everyday expenses, and two-thirds of millennials are doing so. It depends on the card. There's a few ways to do this. We're mostly talking about cashback cards, of course. Even though travel is more lucrative in many cases, it's more complicated. So we'll kind of leave that aside for a moment. Um, but when it comes to cash back, my advice would be, yeah, this is a great strategy as long as you're able to pay your bills in full and avoid interest. Make sure you're getting the best value, though. On some cards, that means getting a direct deposit into your bank account or redeeming for a statement credit as opposed to paying with points at a merchant where you might get a lower valuation. So you mentioned that this has to be done wisely, and, and preferably if you can pay your card off. You know, you don't want to necessarily be doing this at the expense of building up that balance and hence the interest. But are there other things that other pieces of advice you have that either makes this a better option for people or other things that people just need to watch out for if they're thinking about this or even if they're currently doing it? The biggest tip is to pay those credit card bills in full because the average interest rate is right about 18%. So it doesn't make sense to pay 18% just to get 2% in cash back, let's say, or, or even 3 4 5%. I think you need to figure out what's meaningful to you, whether that's travel or whether that's cash back. Most people actually prefer cash. I mean, who couldn't use more cash, right? Um, even though travel is generally more lucrative on a sense per point or mile basis. Um, but just be thoughtful about your spending habits. You want to lean into categories where you spend a lot of money, maybe use a 2% cashback card as a foundation, and then layer in, you spend a lot on groceries, get a card that gives 6% cashback on groceries, and you, know, you spend a lot on travel, there's cards that give, let's say, 5% cashback on that. 
So the more you mix and match, the better you can do. But that 2% flat rate card, like the Wells Fargo Active Cash or City Double Cash, that's actually a great across-the-board option that you could use for everything or as a foundation and then layer some other cards on top of it. That's Ted Rossman, the industry analyst from CreditCards.com, a great place to check out if you want to do some credit card comparison and find the plan and the rates and the rewards that are best for you. Ted, thanks for joining us, as always. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.